Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allot time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training in Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Norma, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's uh, today's program, and today's program is a partnership between the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care, and we're delighted to offer you this program today, um, and this is uh, really a very important program. It's, it's The title is it Updates from the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, or SABCS, on Triple Negative Breast Cancer, or TNBC. And today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. I really want to thank them for their support of this program and for many of our programs and for many of the initiatives that we, we offer at Cancer Care and actually that are offered throughout the Triple Negative Breast Cancer community. So it's been a, a tremendous, um, they've been tr tremendous in their assistance to so many people. Um, I'd like to say that we have over 400 participants on the today's program. So we have a lot of you from different parts of the country, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas, and we also have international participants on the call from Canada, Egypt, Iraq, Israel, Laos, Malaysia, the Netherlands, Philippines, Portugal, Thailand, Trinidad, Tobago, United Arab Emirates, United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So this is a bit of a global call as well. And um, before we begin with our first speaker, um, I would first like to ask all of you just a few questions, just to get a sense of what you know coming into the program. Um, we've just started doing this, and it's a wonderful way to get a sense of in, in planning future programs of what you know coming into the program. So that, and then, so we have um, six questions coming in, and they're just yes/no questions. So I'm going to start with the first question, and the first question is: I understand triple negative breast cancer specific treatment updates presented at San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, and either yes or no. And the second question is, I understand the important role of surgery in the treatment of triple negative breast cancer. Yes or no? And the third question is, I understand the increasing role of diagnostic testing in informing treatment options, yes or no. The fourth question is, I understand updates in clinical trials and advancing treatment choices, yes or no. Just two more questions left. I understand new developments in the management of treatment side effects. Yes or no? This will be the last question. I understand 
investigational new therapies and clinical trials and discuss with my healthcare team, yes or no. I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. They really help us, again, to understand what you know at the beginning of the program, and then um, uh, it's very helpful to know that. And now I'm going to introduce our first speaker. So I'm delighted to introduce our first speaker, Dr. Generosa Grana. Dr. Grana is Medical Director, MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper, Division Head, Hematology and Medical Oncology, the Cooper Health System, Professor of Medicine, Cooper Medical School at Rowan University. And Dr. Grana will be addressing overview of triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19, new research on triple negative breast cancer presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, or SABCS, and, and tri triple negative breast cancer specific treatment updates. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Grana. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so let's begin by talking about triple negative breast cancer. What is it? It is a variant of breast cancer whose features are estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 negative. But the reality is that there is much more sophisticated diagnostic testing that can be done on a tumor that can give us better information about this type of cancer. And actually, several really beautiful presentations at the San Antonio meeting highlighted that new uh, genomic profiling that can give us more information. What we know, we know that it accounts for 15 to 20% of all newly diagnosed breast cancer. It's more common in young women, African-American women, BRCA1 positive individuals. Uh, and again, the behavior tends to be more advanced stage at presentation and slightly more aggressive uh, behavior and worse prognosis. For early stage disease, Earlier recurrences happen. They happen in the first one to three years post-diagnosis. And our focus with early-stage breast cancer is aggressive treatment, often with preoperative chemotherapy, particularly in the COVID-19 era, and I'm going to come back to that. And with that type of focus on aggressive treatment, our disease-free survival has improved now to over 80% five-year disease-free survival, so very excellent outcomes. Metastatic disease is when disease has spread beyond the breast and local lymphatic channels to the bones, lymph nodes, lung, liver, or brain. And even there, survival has improved very significantly over uh, the last few years with new treatment options, and our treatments have really dramatically broadened. We now no longer just rely on chemotherapy but we have PARP inhibitors and immunotherapy and some other targeted therapies that we'll talk about later in this presentation. The impact of COVID-19 on triple negative breast cancer uh, has really been significant. Uh, it's really had an impact on early stage disease with the restrictions on elective surgeries that happened in April, May, and June. It led to uh, restrictions on elective surgery. It led to more use of preoperative chemotherapy in all but the smallest of uh, triple negative breast cancers. Clinical trials were halted at some institutions, but now they're fully ongoing and fully open. Delays in diagnosis were seen due to the closures of mammography facilities and restrictions on access to primary care. 
But fortunately, most of this is behind us and has been reversed. Most centers are fully back in operation, and everyone is putting the message out to women that we are open, we are safe, and we are here to take care of you, so be aggressive about your management. Uh, there is a full complement of services at every institution. And I think now, as we're still living through COVID, COVID and hopefully we'll not see restrictions again with the second and third surge, uh, we are paying particular attention to communicating with patients and with families because it's ever important uh, to really get around that sense of isolation that patients are feeling, that sense of vulnerability that COVID has raised. Many institutions have no visitor policies. So I, I think the message is our teams are very, very much aware of what an impact this is having on patients and are working above and beyond what they always do to, to do more, communicate more, and reach out more. Having said that, let's talk about what's new and, and uh, what we know about treatment for breast cancer uh, that's early stage as well as metastatic and some of the areas that were touched upon at San Antonio. Uh, drug therapy in early stage breast cancer is a very good story. What do we know? Modern chemotherapy and their uh, four or five different regimens that can be used have significantly improved outcome in triple negative breast cancer. Preoperative or neoadjuvant therapy is the standard for all but the smallest lymph node negative cancers. We've shown now with multiple studies that giving chemotherapy prior to surgery improves our ability to preserve the breast and um, improves our ability to limit uh, surgery for the axilla. Uh, giving chemotherapy first also gives us the opportunity to stratify patients to those that need additional chemotherapy after surgery versus those that don't and allows us to get a better handle on the future prognosis of that patient. So again, preoperative chemotherapy has been very much a common theme. We now know that anthracyclines, adriamycin and epirubicin, and taxanes, whether that's nab-paclitaxel, uh, paclitaxel, or docetaxel, have been common standard regimens, and they are very important in the management of triple negative disease. The addition of carboplatinum is a drug that has been used and has been shown to have significant utility, but its role is still evolving, and we're using it in lymph node positive patients or those patients that are not responding well to the original other drugs. But again, by and large, it's still an individual decision as to whether carboplatinum should be added. We know that the addition of capecitabine or Solota uh, can be used if a woman still has residual disease at the time of her surgery, and this oral drug that is given for six months after surgery can be very helpful and lower risk of recurrence. And finally, we have increasing information that in early-stage breast cancer, there may be a role for immunotherapy. These are drugs that target the immune uh, system. One of the studies that was presented at San Antonio was a study called Impassion 031, in which a drug called atesolusamide uh, or tecentric was combined with chemotherapy. And the group that received this drug actually had a significantly greater benefit as uh, seen on pathologic complete response, meaning women who did not have any residual tumor in the breast or lymph nodes at the time of surgery. 
So it was based on that study that we actually got approval uh, for some of these uh, data. Now, what was presented uh, at San Antonio from that trial was actually a look at the toxicity that patients experience. Dr. Mittendorf presented data showing that the that the treatment was quite tolerable, that it didn't add a tremendous amount to the toxicity profile that a woman experienced. So again, for early stage breast cancer, we have a whole array of drugs and we have immunotherapy now becoming increasingly available, although several studies are still ongoing to look at that. What about metastatic triple negative breast cancer? There the story is a lot of new avenues of research. Uh, we still have a long way to go, but a lot of interest. Immunotherapy, number one, we have three drugs that have been tested pretty extensively. Again, uh, tezolizumab, pembrolizumab, uh, dervalimab have all had data presented. One of the studies uh, updated at San Antonio was Keynote 355, again showing that pembrolizumab when added to chemotherapy in the first line uh, setting when the cancer has recurred can be very effective and really can give you significant benefit. Uh, so uh, it was uh, a good study to review. In addition to immunotherapy, we have some new drugs in uh, triple negative disease. They're called antibody drug conjugates, uh, sasetuzumab gavitecan. It's a beautiful name. It goes by the name of Trotalby. Uh, so it's a new drug that has significant activity being used mainly in the third-line setting. Uh, but there are a couple of other uh, antibody conjugates that are being evaluated. There was a lot of data presented on PARP inhibitors. We have three PARP inhibitors, Olaparib, Tolazaparib, and Velaparib. And again, the question for these uh, uh, PARP inhibitors is, how do you combine them with chemotherapy? Uh, do you, we know that they're very effective in BRCA1 and BRCA2 positive cancers, but some triple negative breast cancers are called BRCA-like because they share those features, and it seems to be effective in those uh, patients, and also in patients that have a mutation in PALB2, a different gene altogether than BRCA1 and 2. We also have an array of drugs that target uh, the uh, something called the AKT pathway, uh, and data was presented at San Antonio that others will go into alone. Uh, and then finally, uh, really focusing on the fact that in triple negative disease, it becomes very important that we look at the specific features of the cancer, the genomic profiling of the cancer, uh, even the genetic testing of the patient to figure out how best to target that cancer and what treatments may be most applicable for that patient. So this gets at the whole concept of uh, uh, germline testing that one does on the patient's DNA versus testing on the tumor DNA with uh, tests such as Foundation or Keras or Guardian. So my conclusion is that much work still needs to be done in triple negative breast cancer, but there really are a lot of avenues being pursued. And San Antonio this year touched on many of these, touched on both immunotherapy, PARP inhibitors, uh, some of the new AKT pathways, and I think it was quite an exciting time. And I'll stop there. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Grana. That was really wonderful, and you really did set the stage for this program, and also um, so many more treatments, actually, that you identified 
for triple negative uh, breast cancer, which I think for the participants is just a boon to hear. So thank you so much. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Lisa Newman. Dr. Newman is Chief Division, Division of Breast Surgery, Director, Interdisciplinary Breast Program, while Cornell Medicine, New York Presbyterian Hospital Network. And Dr. Newman will be addressing the important role of surgery in the treatment of triple negative breast cancer, updates in clinical trials and advancing treatment choices, the increasing role of diagnostic testing in informing treatment choices. It's now my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Newman. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. As uh, you just heard from Dr. Grana, there were indeed some very exciting data presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium 2020 revolving around uh, some of the systemic therapies or the chemotherapeutic and immunotherapeutic options available for triple negative breast cancer patients. There weren't quite as many new data presented regarding surgical management of the disease. However, there was some interesting general discussion regarding the standard treatments for triple negative breast cancer and how to manage some of the long-term sequelae of surgical and chemotherapy management for triple negative breast cancer. I'd like to go through some of those data, and then I will also close by discussing some of the local, regional, or surgical trials that have been ongoing for triple negative breast cancer and focusing on some of the clinical trials looking at neoadjuvant chemotherapy for diseases such as uh, triple negative breast cancer, which are very good candidates to receive chemotherapy prior to the surgery. Before I get into those two areas of discussion, however, I'd like to just say a few words about the general diagnosis and management of the disease focusing, as Dr. Messner mentioned, on surgical management of the disease. And I want to very emphatically echo what Dr. Grana already mentioned, which is that in the post-COVID surge era, it is safe for ladies to get back into their usual screening practices. We have, for the most part, figured out how to get our mammography scheduling to comply with social distancing policies, and we can get those screening mammograms performed safely. We can perform diagnostic evaluations of breast problems safely complying with social distancing and lowering the risk of spread of the COVID pandemic. So, Screening for triple negative breast cancer with mammography is indeed very effective and successful. As we've mentioned, triple negative breast cancer does tend to be a faster-growing, relatively more biologically aggressive cancer compared to non-triple negative breast cancers. But if you do catch it at a very small size when it's node negative on a screening mammogram, the outcomes can be excellent. So again, very important for women to get back to their usual screening practices. In some research that has been conducted by my group here at Weill Cornell Medicine and also by my colleagues at Michigan, we have indeed found that early detection of triple negative breast cancer with screening mammography is especially important in African-American women, which is key because, as Dr. Grana mentioned, African-American women have a twofold higher risk of getting triple negative breast cancer compared to white American women. Screening mammography can mitigate some of the disparities in breast cancer survival that we see between black women and white women because of its effectiveness at detecting triple negative tumors. 
Triple negative breast cancers can, however, be a bit more insidious, and so it is still important for women to be aware of danger signs of breast cancer, such as a new lump in the breast or in the underarm area, a bloody nipple discharge, or changes in the skin of the breast or the areolar skin, the central area of the breast. If any abnormalities are detected in the breast, either on screening mammogram or on clinical self-examination or clinical examination by the healthcare provider, then some type of biopsy is necessary. And the biopsy is simply some method of extracting tissue from the breast, which is then analyzed under the microscope. Needle biopsies, and in particular special diagnostic biopsy devices called core needle biopsies, are the perfect way to establish a breast cancer diagnosis. If the core needle biopsy extracts a piece of tissue that is then analyzed under the microscope and shows breast cancer cells, the next step is for the pathologist to apply special stains to that breast biopsy material looking for expression of the three biomarkers that Dr. Grana mentioned earlier, the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, and a growth factor called HER2NU. If those three markers are negative, that is what identifies a breast cancer as being triple negative. Other biomarkers that can sometimes be useful for, other, for all types of breast cancers include something called KI67, which is a marker of the activity, the proliferative patterns of the disease. And for triple negative breast cancer, staining such as PD-1, PD-L1 can also be useful in determining the special treatment needs of the patient. When a breast cancer is diagnosed, the surgical plan must then be outlined, and usually that will involve surgery, and if the tumor is caught at a small size, surgery will be the next step in care. The surgery has to address the tumor in the breast itself. It also has to address microscopic cancer cells that might be hiding in the normal appearing breast. And the options here would be mastectomy, which takes care of those first two principles in one fell swoop, versus breast-saving surgery, lumpectomy followed by radiation to kill the microscopic cancer cells hiding in the normal breast tissue. Survival from breast cancer is exactly the same, regardless of whether the woman chooses the mastectomy route or the lumpectomy and radiation route, because survival from breast cancer is driven by whether or not the cancer can ever become metastatic disease, where it damages other organs, such as the liver, lungs, or bones. For those women who do choose mastectomy, we have wonderful breast reconstruction options that can be offered, and usually we can do something called a nipple-sparing mastectomy, where we basically save the entire breast skin envelope. Regardless of surgical plan for the breast, we will usually need to perform some type of surgery for the lymph nodes or glands of the underarm to stage the cancer. And usually this is a small operation called a sentinel lymphobiopsy, which is done at the same time as the breast surgery, and it involves removing just a few of the most important lymph nodes that are involved with draining the breast and therefore the breast cancer. That staging information helps us to plan chemotherapy treatments, and it also helps us to plan radiation treatments for the breast cancer patient. As Dr. Grana also mentioned, we do have a lower threshold for recommending chemotherapy in triple negative breast cancer patients, even when the cancer is caught at a small size. And for the women where it is very clear that chemotherapy will be important in their treatment, giving the chemotherapy prior to the surgery 
has many advantages. It can shrink the tumor down in the breast and make the patient a better lumpectomy candidate. It makes it more likely that the lymph nodes in the underarm will be negative and can reduce the extent of the surgery necessary for those lymph nodes. It also gives the patient more time to decide about their surgical preferences and to get all of the information that they need regarding the mastectomy and their reconstruction options if they choose the mastectomy option. Now, in the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, as we discussed, they did focus on clinical trials looking at medical treatments for uh, triple negative breast cancer, but they did also focus on some of the long-term management of sequela from uh, chemotherapy and surgery for different types of breast cancer. One of my former colleagues at the University of Michigan, Dr. Lynn Henry, gave an excellent general overview of how to manage lymphedema, which is a risk of having swelling in the arm on the side where breast cancer lymph node surgery has been performed, and in particular where extensive lymph node surgery has to be performed, surgery that goes beyond the sentinel lymph nodes. And to prevent lymphedema, we have excellent physical therapy, occupational therapy programs, and compression garments that can be valuable. To prevent or to manage peripheral neuropathy, acupuncture can be useful, a medication called duloxetine or Cymbalta. Dr. Henry also talked about fertility preservation programs. As you've heard, triple negative breast cancer patients tend to be a bit younger than patients with non-triple negative breast cancer. And for these young premenopausal breast cancer patients, we want to protect their ability to have children after their breast cancer treatment has been completed. And for these women, they can freeze their ovaries or their eggs. They can also receive special medication that suppresses the ovaries during chemotherapy treatment, and this medication can also help to, pr pr to protect the ovaries during chemotherapy. My former colleague from MD Anderson, Dr. Beth Mittendorf, gave an excellent general plenary lecture on some of the local regional or surgical and radiation treatment trials that are currently ongoing in patients that receive neoadjuvant chemotherapy. One such trial is a study called the Alliance 11202 trial, which is specifically designed for women that have lymph node positive breast cancer who receive neoadjuvant or preoperative chemotherapy. For those women, if they still have disease left in the lymph nodes after the chemotherapy has been delivered, they can be randomized in this 11202 trial to either have the axillary lymph node dissection or to have the axillary lymph node dissection avoided and to have the axilla, the underarm, treated by radiation alone and thereby minimizing the risk of lymphedema. Another trial that is ongoing for women that receive chemotherapy prior to their surgery is the NSABP B51 trial where women who have a complete pathologic response meaning that when they have their surgery, there's no cancer left over in the breast, these women can either be randomized to receive additional radiation to the chest wall or to not receive additional radiation. So these are both exciting trials that are designed to evaluate ways of de-escalating surgical and radiation treatments for breast cancer and thereby hopefully minimizing side effects from breast cancer treatment. So I will stop there, but um, I hope everybody enjoys the rest of the teleconference, and thank you for allowing me to participate.
Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Newman, and um, and thank you just so much for your presentation, and we look forward to questions at, um, during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Shavita Vayak, and um, uh, Dr. Vayak will be uh, is assistant professor, Division of Oncology, University of Washington, um, assistant member, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, Physician, Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, and Dr. Uh, Vayak will be addressing investigational new therapies and clinical trials, new developments in the management of treatment side effects. Key questions to ask your healthcare team about your own quality of life concerns, communicating with your healthcare team um, regarding um, telehealth telemedicine appointments with a roadmap to prepare for these appointments. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Vayak. Thank you so much, um, Carolyn, for this introduction, Dr. Mesner, and uh, I also want to thank Dr. Grana and Dr. Newman for their wonderful presentations. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk to everyone on the call today. Um, I just wanted to start off with saying that the landscape of treatment options for at least advanced stage triple negative breast cancer has been changing rapidly. And as you've heard, there's been a lot of exciting developments in triple negative breast cancer over the last couple of years. Um, we've had um, new drug approvals. Uh, with uh, various classes of drugs, including immunotherapy, such as checkpoint inhibitors, uh, PARP inhibitors, and then also in the class of drugs called antibody drug conjugates, and we will um, go over that as well. And all of these have really been a result of successful clinical trials, um, and this is why it's important to continue to build upon this research and um, of course, benefit, uh, you know, more and more patients who are living with triple negative breast cancer. So um, I was just going to um, start off with uh, talking about clinical research in general and its importance, and then we'll talk about uh, various clinical trial options um, that are up and coming and really building upon what we have seen so far uh, with these various classes of drugs that are important. So... Um, in terms of clinical research, I think trial participation is really a chance to benefit yourself from new therapies and then others down the road. Um, I just want to kind of put out there that there are several misconceptions about clinical trials. Um, you know, people don't participate because of fear of cost. There's, of course, concerns about side effects of treatments, which is, you know, very reasonable. And there's also this fear that they might get a placebo medication for their cancers. So I want to, um, you know, talk a little bit about that. Um, placebos are almost never used in cancer treatment trials since that would be unethical. And the design of the clinical trials um, for cancer treatments really goes through a very stringent process within our institutions and nationally. And clinical trials are a, a, a promising way of, you know, testing new drugs and making progress against cancer. Um, our really best standard treatments um, and all of these drugs that I talked about that have been approved recently were from successful clinical trials of the past. And, of course, we are um, extremely grateful for all of the patients who participate in this trial and help, uh, you know, move the field forward um, and it can benefit many patients in the future. 
Um, trials are also one way that physicians bring new drugs to their patients, and really only when they're tested and proven, they make their way to the market. Um, and actually, only a very uh, only a few patients are eligible um, go on to clinical trials. Um, so it goes through lots of stringent processes for safety of our patients. Um, and uh, I think the best time to look at clinical trials is when you're doing relatively well um, and you're healthy uh, because sometimes if you're, you know, too sick, then it's, it's hard to meet the um, criteria for clinical trials and also go on clinical trials because it wouldn't necessarily be safe to be, to be on the studies. The National Cancer Institute has a great website that lists our clinical trials, and there are many um, drugs that are underway. Um, there are various phases of trials that we look at in terms of the spectrum, um, where they are and being evaluated. So the really early phase trials or phase one look at um, the safety and the dosing of the study predominantly, and then the later phase trials, such as phase two and three, start to look at the effectiveness of the drugs and really how they're working against the um, triple negative breast cancer. So before I go into um, some of the drugs uh, and clinical trials um, that are being expanded, I just want to point out that as of this morning, and I just looked this up uh, earlier today, that if you go on uh, one of our main websites that we use uh, for searching for clinical trials through clinicaltrials.gov, there are more than 400 active clinical trials listed for triple negative breast cancer, um, which is tremendous and I think really exciting because it's an area of active research. Um, and, you know, hopefully uh, as they move forward and they're successful, they would benefit our patients, which is really the goal at the end of all of this. Um, uh, as I go through the studies that were presented at San Antonio and Dr. Grana and Dr. Newman have already covered a lot of ground on this, um, I really want to focus on um, the, the side effects of the treatment um, as well. So I'll break it down by sort of class of drugs. The first, if we talk about um, immunotherapy, um, as Dr. Grana already mentioned, you know, immunotherapy drugs, which, you know, are a class of drugs called checkpoint inhibitors, they are uh, approved now in metastatic triple negative breast cancer, but they're also coming up potentially in use for early stage triple negative breast cancer in what we call preoperative set setting or being used prior to surgery. Um, so that would be really exciting because that will help more patients have better responses prior to getting to surgery, and um, the use of these drugs in combination will help us get there. So we have currently two drugs that are approved, um, and they're called atezolizumab and pembrolizumab that are being combined with chemotherapy. Um, there's various chemotherapies that are approved with. They're both IV drugs, the immunotherapy drugs, and really, the immunotherapy drugs take advantage of the fact that, you know, our, uh, the, the tumors of the cancer cells put up a defense or breaks, per se, against the immune cell's ability to destroy the tumor. And the checkpoint inhibitors allow us to release those breaks and really allow the immune cells to destroy the tumor, which is exactly what we want from these treatments. 
by themselves, they've shown limited uh, effectiveness, but in combination with chemotherapy, they have been more successful in use in triple negative breast cancer. Um, and one of the markers that we're looking at um, for uh, identifying patients who may benefit from these drugs is testing the tumor for the PDL1 immune marker. If it's present in the tumor, whether it's in the metastatic biopsy or biopsy that was done on, um, from the breast, um, then we know that you may have a potential benefit from this treatment, but that's, you know, in uh, obviously consultations of your physician. In terms of side effects that are, you know, sort of specific and different from chemotherapy, specifically related to immunotherapy, we know that um, in the process of activating the immune system against the cancer, there can be overactivation of the immune system in uh in, in, in the body, and this can affect normal tissues or really any organ. Most commonly affected areas in the body can be skin, colon, lungs, liver, and endocrine glands such as pituitary gland or thyroid. So it's really important um, to make your doctors aware or other oncology providers aware of any new or worsening symptoms early on since most of these side effects are um, you know, when they're mild or moderate or when they're just kind of coming uh, around or beginning. And if they're recognized early, they can be very appropriately treated. Uh, however, one thing I would say is that uh, there is a pretty variable um, sort of time frame for when these symptoms can come on. It can happen within just a few uh, days to weeks. To several months, and sometimes it can even happen when the immunotherapy drug has been stopped. So it's important to kind of remember that and, you know, make your team aware of any symptoms um, because they can happen even after you're off of the immunotherapy. Uh, depending on the severity of the side effects, most, most of these are treated with, you know, steroids or there are other drugs um, that we can use to reverse these symptoms. Uh, and sometimes we have to stop the medication altogether. Um, so there are uh, lots of clinical trials that are combining immunotherapy with uh, more than just chemotherapy. Um, there are studies that are ongoing um, and have been done in combining immunotherapy with PARP inhibitors, um, and PARP inhibitors have been effective on their own as well in you know, certain patient populations. So I'm going to talk about the class of drugs uh, such as PARP inhibitors now. Um, we have um, approval of uh, at least uh, two PARP inhibitors in metastatic uh, breast cancer setting. And it's really for uh, patients so far, the approval is for patients that have a genetic mutation in the BRCA gene, um, and it's for HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer patients. The clinical trials that are ongoing, including the ones that were presented in San Antonio, are evaluating the expansion of these drugs to other patients that may also have a sort of a DNA repair defect in their tumor, which impairs the tumor cell's ability to repair the DNA, leading to cancer cell death. So this is where the PARP inhibitors have been really effective. They're being combined with chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and other drugs, and we're hoping to expand its use, um, you know, as effectively as possible to other patients who may benefit from this. 
And this is where I also wanted to touch base on genetic testing. Um, you know, genetic testing is uh, really important for patients with triple negative breast cancer um, because they can benefit from these drugs, which are oral drugs. So they're, they come in a pill form, all of these PARP inhibitors. It also allows patients to get a break from chemotherapy. Uh, and genetic testing can help identify a BRCA mutation or BRCA mutation, but in addition, potentially other genes and, you know, um, another hereditary mutation that may help you go on a clinical trial where they're expanding the use of PARP inhibitors. Um, genetic testing may impact not just your breast cancer treatment, but also help us, you know, identify other cancer risks, um, not just for yourself, but also for your family members. So I think um, the role of genetic testing, which can be done through a blood or saliva sample, is becoming increasingly important, um, uh, not just for you know, prevention, as we used to think about it, but also for treatment. In terms of side effects of PARP inhibitors, um, uh, I wanted to just touch base on a few things. So uh, there can be lowering of the blood count. Um, there can be some nausea, some fatigue or diarrhea. Uh, but overall, I, in my experience, I think patients find PARP inhibitors easier to tolerate compared to chemotherapy. And uh, as I mentioned, it gives patients a little break from being on IV medications, which, mo which is still most of our treatment options, uh, especially in metastatic breast cancer. The third class of drugs I wanted to touch base on are, are drug antibody conjugates. Um, so I think uh, these are really, you know, cool drugs. Uh, the antibodies are really against a protein on the cancer cells, um, and there is a linker um, to a chemotherapy drug. Um, because these drugs are really targeted to the protein against the cancer cell, it's able to discriminate between cancer and healthy cells and tend to have less side effects on your body compared to chemotherapy. Um, some of the promising drugs um, that were also presented at San Antonio in form of clinical trials are uh, there are some antibody drug conjugates uh, against LIV1 protein and then trope 2 protein. So based on the trope 2 protein, um, our most recent drug approval was uh, for a drug that Dr. Grano already mentioned, Sasatuzumab polytechan. Um, at least uh, two prior therapies for metastatic disease um, uh, should, should be done prior to proceeding with the Sasatuzumab polytechan drug. It's an IV medicine given two weeks in a row and then a week off. And in terms of side effects, uh, it includes nausea, um, lowering of the blood counts, diarrhea, fatigue, and lowering of um, the red blood cells or, or something uh, called anemia. AKT inhibitors, um, which are, again, another targeted, precise way of um, you know, um, targeting the cancer cells are also being combined with chemotherapy in metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Um, from the, the studies that were presented at San Antonio and taking into account um, the studies have been presented previously, um, the results are mixed, but there are larger clinical trials 
uh, ongoing that are combining AQT inhibitors with chemotherapy. And I think uh, these hold some promise for the future. Um, and then in terms of sort of just general side effects, when we think about, you know, um, managing these from either chemotherapy or outside of these newer drugs, um, I just want to remind everyone on the call that um, for the very commonly seen side effects, such as nausea, vomiting, that's induced by chemotherapy, I think uh, there are a lot of medications available. Um, so if you feel like your nausea or vomiting is not controlled, I would definitely encourage you to talk to your physicians because we really have a pretty um, broad armamentarium of drugs to tackle this particular side effect. Uh, for neuropathy, which is, again, um, unfortunately, another common side effect that we see um, in patients related to these medications, um, I think Dr. Newman already mentioned this. A recent study showed that acupuncture may be very helpful uh, with managing this particular symptom along with use of medications such as duloxetine. And um, this is something that uh, was presented at uh, a prior meeting, but was also brought up again at San Antonio. So we are seeing more and more um, studies showing how to use supportive care and really integrate that into management of side effects of uh, our medications. And I think in the in the time of COVID-19, I uh, definitely want to mention, um, you know, um, that a, a lot of people uh, just with, you know, cancer diagnosis and going through the treatment, which is, you know, which can be challenging, um, maybe experiencing, you know, depression, anxiety, or fatigue. And um, even during COVID, I, I would encourage, you know, uh, people to um, maintain some level of physical activity because that has been shown to reduce cancer-related or treatment-related fatigue. And really reach out to your um, uh, cancer center or physicians for supportive care resources. There are a lot of peer-to-peer -peer programs, and these can be available through telehealth or by phone. Um, so even during COVID, um, you know, social workers and counselors or psychiatrists are available to, um, you know, to support you uh, through the cancer journey. And the last topic I want to touch on um, is, you know, just sort of key questions to ask your healthcare team. Uh, about quality of life. So some of the pieces of advice that I typically give um, are, you know, I, I think the very first appointment, um, whether it's with, you know, establishing your care with uh, your local team or whether it's for a second opinion, I think can be, you know, overwhelming in general with a new diagnosis and these really complicated treatment discussions. So I... Uh, all this advice, you know, bringing uh, someone um, to that appointment, whether they join in by telehealth or by phone or in person, um, because I think it's hard to uh, remember all of the details uh, of uh, the treatment, especially at a time of, you know, distress um, and there may be some fear of, you know, what treatments may be coming ahead. Uh, it's important to ask, you know, how soon will the treatment get started and all of the steps that need to be taken prior uh, a, uh, to a treatment plan being kind of uh, uh, made. And sometimes, depending on what testing results show, it's also, um, you know, important to remember that the treatment 
can be uh, potentially altered uh, based on the initial discussion. So if you get a certain test results back, um, such as the PDL1 immune marker test, then you know we may recognize that you would have a benefit of adding in immunotherapy, or uh, if the PDL1 test comes back negative, then we may discuss a different plan. So additional testing can also change the treatment plan. Um, I think it's important to ask your oncology team, you know, uh, how, like whom to contact and when to contact them uh, with, you know, discussion of potential side effects or various questions that come along the way, especially if it's a new provider. Um, there's also for, I think, metastatic breast cancer patients, a discussion of uh, various test results and scans how will that be done, you know, if that's done by phone, telehealth, or in person? I think having sort of all of those expectations laid out helps decrease some of the anxiety um, because anytime we do get new test results back, that can be anxiety-provoking. I think reviewing, you know, your goals and priorities is important. Anytime there's a new treatment that's discussed, um, discussing success rates, side effects, and metastatic settings, especially because this is for the long haul, um, it's important with your team. And, you know, don't hesitate to ask your questions, write those down, um, and bring them to the appointment for sure. Um, and always ask about second opinions, if that's something um, that's of interest to you. I think it's very common to get second opinions, and in the time of COVID-19, that can be done by our telehealth as well. And Always ask about clinical trials. I think that's a chance to benefit yourself from new therapies and others down the road, as I mentioned. Um, and depending on what drugs uh, are available on the clinical trial, it can also you know, potentially provide you with a better quality of life on the study. Um, so those are all of the things that I wanted to mention as key questions to bring up to your team. And I really want to thank everyone for being on the call today. Um, and I look forward to questions uh, later on. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Avayak. That was really wonderful. It was just a very comprehensive presentation, lots of information, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and our next speaker is uh, Ms. Haley Dinnerman. Ms. Dinnerman is co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And I actually cannot say enough about um, Ms. Dinnerman and the uh, Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation supporting so many initiatives and programs and workshops and virtual conferences in the Triple Negative uh, Breast Cancer community. So I'm going to, um, I'm just delighted to have her on board. Um, she will be addressing the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free programs, and I'm going to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Dinnerman. Thank you so much for that introduction, Dr. Messner. Um, first, I want to take a moment to thank our partners at Cancer Care and my fellow presenters for the excellent update on the data coming out of this year's SABCS and for all the insights on emerging research and treatment options. It goes without saying that TNBC-specific medical research is extremely important to our foundation. We support research at leading medical institutions all over the world, and we work hard to inform you about any new developments in the area, including clinical trials. So educating our TNBC community with updates from major medical conferences like ASCO, AACR, and SABCS today uh, is important to us. So if you're interested in receiving these updates, 
please be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Today's teleconference is one of many programs we offer. All of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of those living with PNBC. Our many educational brochures and fact sheets are available in print and also as free downloads from our website, pnbcfoundation.org. We also have two free clinical trial matching services. One is for TNBC in general and one for metastatic TNBC. These services are way less overwhelming to navigate than other matching services because they're limited specifically to triple negative breast cancer, and you can find them both on our website. Additionally, our TNBC discussion forums, those are also available on our website, tnbcfoundation.org. They allow you to connect with others in our community who are living with TNBC or caring for a loved one with this disease. People use the forums to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage their side effects, and anything else related to TNBC. Most importantly, though, our discussion forums offer consistent support. So if you aren't currently registered for the forums, you should consider joining them. You can even join anonymously if you like. I can't stress enough how helpful they've been to so many women. And the same is true for the discussions on our official private Facebook groups. So um, please join those as well if you're so inclined. Beyond that, the TNBC Foundation offers many other free educational programs and support services, including webinars that deal with everything from the fear of recurrence to understanding clinical trials to living with metastatic TNBC and more. We also offer online support groups, which during this global pandemic can be especially useful. And finally, our community of patients, survivors, and caregivers meets regularly via Zoom through our program Tuesdays with TNBC Friends. It's a wonderful way to connect with our group of thrivers. So our next Tuesday with TNBC Friends is taking place on January 4th. You can register for this program or any of our other programs at tnbcfoundation.org or by following links on our official social media channels. I know everyone is eager to get to the Q&A, so with that in mind, I'll end here. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Messner, I'll turn the program back to you now. Oh, thank you so much, um, Mr. Newman, and thank you also for your support. It's just invaluable. So, so many programs in today's program particularly, but also for all the programs you support. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Ms. Lauren Chatelian. She's an oncology social worker at Cancer Care and our Women in Cancers and uh, Women in Children's uh, Program Manager at Cancer Care. And she'll be addressing the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free services and resources. And it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. My role at Cancer Care includes providing supportive services to individuals and families impacted by a triple negative breast cancer diagnosis. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that those diagnosed with TMBC have access to free psychosocial services and support. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides callers with access to comprehensive services. These comprehensive services include case management, counseling and support groups, educational workshops, publications, and limited financial assistance. By calling the TMBC helpline, individuals are connected with an oncology social worker aware of the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when diagnosed with TMBC. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation also offers their clinical trial matching service. 
that helps make the search for clinical trials faster and easier. And callers can speak to a trained clinical trial navigator by calling 855-731-6036. There are many aspects of a triple negative breast cancer diagnosis that could be addressed throughout psychosocial supportive services. Working one-on-one -on -one with an oncology social worker through individual counseling can offer a space to express one's feelings, emotions, and concerns. By calling the TMBC helpline, one of our social workers can help navigate ways to seek support services. Individuals may choose to supplement existing social networks by joining a support group. Joining a support group can be a way of connecting with others, going through a similar experience. Being a member in a support group can offer the opportunity to speak with others, gather and provide support, as well as obtain information. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offer TMBC-specific national online support groups for those diagnosed as well as loved ones. These groups are moderated by oncology, oncology social workers and can be registered through cancercare.org. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation also offers the wonderful virtual webinars, meet and greets, and discussion forums, as Ms. Dinnerman mentioned. And you can, of course, find more information about these at the TMBC Foundation, tmbcfoundation.org. It is wonderful to be able to connect with others virtually or online, as many people may be feeling increased isolation during COVID. In addition, if your support system feels distant during the pandemic, see if there may be an option to connect over the phone or online, if possible, to continue to engage with others, continue to connect with people who have common interests or maybe going through a similar experience. And remember that you're not alone. You may find that others are feeling similarly, similarly to you during this time, and it's possible that they may be looking for someone to connect with as well. During this time, you may also notice that certain activities or techniques that you have put in place to help cope through your diagnosis and treatment could be paused or altered. This could be a time of finding new hobbies within your home, becoming creative, and even possibly learning something new. Grieving techniques can also offer a quick reset, and you could also consider connecting with nature by going on a hike or walk. Um, continue to speak to your medical team about precautions related to COVID-19 as you explore these options. And of course, those diagnosed with TMBC may experience practical and financial concerns during treatment. I would recommend continuing to speak to your medical providers and some of the team at your treatment center, um, as well as giving the helpline a call and discussing some possible resources, as well as the case management services that are free of charge. And if you're interested in learning more about the support services the Foundation and Cancer Care offer, I encourage you to call the TNBC helpline, and we can be reached at 877-880-8622, and we're here to offer you support and look forward to hearing from you. It's been such a pleasure to be a part of this informative program today. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to speak, and I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh. Thank you so much, Mr. Chalian. That was wonderful. And um, before we take the Q&A, and we are going to run over a little bit, I'm going to ask you just a few more questions as we conclude. Um, so I'm going to start with our um, first question. Um, as a result of this workshop, I have a better understanding of triple negative breast cancer specific treatment updates presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, either yes or no.
And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I better understand the role of surgery in the treatment of triple negative breast cancer. Yes or no? And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I am more knowledgeable about the increasing role of diagnostic testing and informing treatment options. Yes or no? The next question is, as a result of this workshop, I have a better understanding of updates in clinical trials and advancing treatment choices. Yes or no? The next question is, as a result of this workshop, I am better equipped to utilize new developments in the management of treatment side effects, yes or no? And the last question, as a result of this workshop, I am more confident in discussing participation and investigational new therapies in clinical trials, yes or no? I want to thank all of you who've participated in the, uh, this, uh, um, these uh, questions. It really helps us in knowing what you came into the program with, what you go out of the program with, and, and it helps us to plan better programs for all of you. And now we have time for questions. We're going to make time for questions. So I'm going to ask Norma to bring all of our speakers on board. And um, we have, uh, and Norma, if you could explain to everybody how to queue up for questions, that would be great. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Again, to ask a question, please press star one. Okay, so we have a number of questions that have been coming in. Um, um, so I'm going to just, um, that have come in online. Um, so, um, well, the, well, the first question is, will this record? Will this be recorded? So, yes, um, this program you will be able to listen to it um, on on either telephone replay or as a podcast, um, probably within a, a day or two. It'll be up on our website, um, and you'll be able to um, listen. You'll be able to listen to the podcast. So that just you know that and that's true for all of our programs. Just to get that information out to all of you, um, and then we have a question. Um, So this would be for Dr. Grana. My mom was diagnosed with triple negative breast, um, early stage breast cancer in April of this year. She's undergone chemo, surgery, and radiation so far. It's worked really well, and she looks cancer-free. Her doctor has brought up taking Zolota as a preventative for any future spreading. What are your thoughts on that? So I'm going to ask Dr. Um, Grana to address this in a general way because we need you to, of course, ask her doctor more about this, but if there's any thoughts about this that you have, Dr. Grana, that would be helpful that would to everybody on the call um, if you could share them. I think that's absolutely key is to really discuss with her doctor. It depends on two things, not just triple negative histology, but it also depends on how much disease was there 
found at the time of surgery. So she had chemotherapy first, then she had surgery, then she had radiation. The recommendation of capecitabine or Zolota given for six months was in patients who had residual disease found in the breast or in the underarm area, and it had to be substantial, a lymph node being positive or a centimeter of disease. Some people would say maybe even less than a centimeter of disease, but it shouldn't be for the woman who's got a few cells or microscopic disease. So for the patients that met the criteria that were on the trial, the study did offer a significant advantage in terms of lessening the risk of recurrence of breast cancer. And it's not a perfectly easy treatment, but a manageable treatment. It's a pill that's given for six months. So yes, I, I think it's a perfectly good strategy to discuss, but it is all about discussing with the surgeon what was found at the time of surgery uh, or with the pathology report so that you make an intelligent uh, decision about appropriateness. Excellent. Um, and um, this question um, uh, from one of our or online participants, biopsy analysis for checking, um, actually I should give this question to, I think Dr. Grana, um, the biopsy analysis for checking for the PDL one protein came in as inconclusive. Would immunotherapy still be beneficial? So again, this um, is a individual question. If there's any way to address this in a general way, that would be helpful to everyone. So, so it's interesting because I think there is still a lot of debate about number one, what is the appropriate testing for PDL1, and there are two tests currently available. One is SP142, the other one is CC. Don't quote me on the the testing for the other one. Um, and there are there is some data that it may be effective regardless of PDL1 status. So uh I don't know that just checking PDL1 is what would uh, sway me in the selection it's more dependent on the overall picture whether you're looking at uh preoperatively adding uh a tesalucemab a to a chemotherapy prior to surgery or whether you're uh, adding it in the metastatic setting, uh, first line versus later, I think a lot has to be taken into account beyond just testing for the one uh, previous PDL one. And Dr. Benayak may have a may have more Please. ideas about this. Dr. Benayak, do you want to add anything? Um, Dr. Vinyak? Yes. yes. Yes, I'm on the line. Yes. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. I I think, um, you know, there's a lot being done in clinical trials and research trying to understand, you know, the biomarkers, uh, basically the tumor uh, marker testing that can help us identify patients who benefit from immunotherapy outside of PDL one marker. However, you know, the approvals so far are are linked to PDL one testing at least in um, metastatic breast cancer patients, but in early stage breast cancer patients when immunotherapies are being combined with chemotherapy prior to surgery or, or neoadjuvant or preoperative setting, uh, we, we, um, we still need to see how those drug approvals will come around and whether those will be linked to PD-L1 marker testing or not. Excellent, thank you. Thank you. 
Um, so here, um, a question. So a question for Dr. Um, Newman. Um, a question about having, um, so in terms of um, triple negative breast cancer, um, any difference regarding patients with just one tumor versus a person who has three tumors in a breast in terms well, of the uh, treatment? Yeah. So a couple of things to uh, note if there are multiple tumors in the breast. With regard to surgical options, breast conserving surgery can still be done in women that have multiple tumors in the breast, but the key is that you'd want the tumors to be close enough in the breast that they could be resected within one lumpectomy that has negative margins. And so if that ends up being a broad area of breast tissue, it could result in a compromised cosmetic appearance but it is feasible in terms of breast-conserving surgery. In terms of the systemic therapy management, it's a good idea for the patient to have strong consideration of whether multiple biopsies should be done in the different tumors because if only one is triple negative but another one is positive for any of the hormone receptors or for her 2 new, then that could change the treatment that's offered to the patient dramatically. And especially in the setting of a patient that's going to be referred for neoadjuvant preoperative chemotherapy for the known triple negative lesion, you need to know at the time of diagnosis whether there are any biomarkers that are different in other sites of disease in the breast. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and um, and um, this question for Dr. Grana, would you recommend immunotherapy for stage 2 triple negative breast cancer? Again, j- uh, that's a That's a, a jumbo question. So I would say that for stage 2 disease, the question is probably no, uh, although... Uh, if you're giving preoperative chemotherapy, um, if you're even, which is for being used in stage two disease, there is a trial that showed that the addition of Tocentric improved pathologic complete response. We don't have FDA approval for that, yet I am sure that some people out there are using it. I personally am a little concerned about um using it in that setting, and I'm very comfortable using it in the metastatic setting, but not so much yet in the preoperative setting. But, uh, Dr. Vinayak? I, uh, I'm completely, um, uh, you know, uh, I completely agree with those um, statements. Um, so I'm also not uh, giving it in a preoperative setting um, yet, uh, you know, I think there's a lot that we still need to sort out, you know, who really benefits in preoperative setting. Um, although we have seen this increase in response rates, um, you know, the use of immunotherapy in early stage setting um, could potentially also put patients at risk for some, um, you know, long-term side effects. So, um, you know, we'll kind of see how the FDA approval goes, and if there's going to be, again, a selected patient population who highly benefits from this treatment, uh, but we're definitely using it in metastatic settings. 
Now, I would say that if there's a trial that you're being offered, I, I am all in for a clinical trial that's looking at the addition of these novel drugs, uh, even in early-stage breast cancer, because that will potentially move the field forward. So I feel very differently about enrolling someone on a clinical trial versus just off the uh, off the cuff using a drug without all of the information. And we will have that information in the next uh, year or two. And this will be the last question um, for Dr. Griner. Are there any ways to test the blood after early stage triple negative breast cancer less than a centimeter after surgery to see if chemo is necessary? This is with no lymph node involvement. And again, this is a personal question, but I'd like to answer it in a general way to assist so, everybody. In terms of um, so there has been a movement to look at circulating tumor cells or circulating tumor-free DNA uh, to predict outcome that's really not far yet in in the field. So I would say no one is using that clinically. In our neck of the woods in the Northeast, there is at the University of Pennsylvania a study that's looking at bone marrow biopsies in a women that would be considered higher risk to predict if there is um, bone marrow positive uh, cells uh, that you can target specific treatments. So I think that's a very interesting approach. It's a way of trying to identify who is the higher risk woman because she's got some uh, cells in her bone marrow that may put her at higher risk. But I think that field is still very immature. So I would say today in my clinical practice, I am not using uh, uh, circulating tumor cells, I am recommending putting patients on trials like uh, those that are looking at bone marrow um, uh, guided therapy. Excellent. Well, I have to say, I know we could go on, if not for an hour, probably more than that, because we have a lot of questions in queue. And I just want to thank our speakers. You've been phenomenal. And I also want to thank our participants as well for asking um, such terrific questions. So as we wrap this up, I just want to first of all say to all of you a big thank you. And But I also recognize that there are lots of you who still have questions. And you also, if you asked a question, we're still recommending you go back to your treating healthcare team, hopefully feeling um, that you've learned something on the call today that you can feel more confident asking your questions of your healthcare team. Um, and that's really important that you, um, perhaps for those of you who ask questions today, see this as a practice run um, for t talking directly with your own healthcare team. That's, that's excellent to do. That's fine. Um, and we also have given you lots of resources today. You will be getting a SurveyMonkey evaluation um, at the end of today's call, and in that will also be all the resources that were mentioned during the call in addition to the evaluation of the call. However, um, I do want to remind all of you that um, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care both offer tremendous services to you as well as um, cancer.gov in terms of information about clinical trials, but the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation also has um, a clinical trial line as well. So there are a lot of resources out you for all of you out there. There's also a lot of opportunities for support, and I think Ms. Italian reviewed those with you. They're free, and um, it, there's a triple negative um, helpline that we will give you that information again, um, and you will be able to call that line for help with uh, clinical trial information. 
as well as other questions you may have. Also support and support groups and all the different um, uh, arenas that are out there to help all of you. Also, I, don't, I want to remind all of you, I probably don't have to remind all of you, that we're entering kind of uh, in some parts of the world, or kind of a, uh, some parts actually of the world, because you're from all over the world, some parts of the world is a bit colder right now. And also, um, and also there is a, a holiday season spirit around, although it may not be your holiday, but nevertheless. And so people are feeling a bit more isolated. And so we want you to recognize that that's normal and that we want you to take advantage of all the support services that are out there for you um, and so that you all stay safe and and well during this time. And also, as our speakers have said, you know, do um, take advantage of all of the both telemedicine, telehealth visits with your doctor, as well as seeing your doctors when they feel it's appropriate for you to come in. But that's really important as well, that you need to continue with your treatment and clinical trials and everything that you're doing. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. You've been a phenomenal group, and I want to wish you all a very safe day and take good care. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes today's workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day.